Today's episode of Bouncing Forward is really special for me because I'm interviewing my dad. For those of you who have been following my journey and my story for quite some time, you know that my dad saved my life. My dad gave me a kidney. And what you may not know is that my dad fought for his life when he was in the Vietnam War. I'm a little bit nervous about this conversation because A, I've never interviewed my dad before. I don't even know if my dad's actually done a podcast before or not. But also, I am asking him questions that I've never asked before. But before I get into that, I first want to share that I don't know if you saw or not, but my jewelry line with Tiny Tags is launching this week. And it's so exciting for me because I got to design the jewelry myself. And when we started doing it, you know, we thought a symbol would be really good. Like what would be a good symbol for bouncing forward or for living an inspired life? And the first thing I thought of was an arrow because I love First of all, I love what arrows look like, but I also love what they represent. To me, they represent being pulled back in order to go forward. You know, just like life, sometimes we have setbacks, but sometimes because of those setbacks, we can go much further in our lives. And so we designed this beautiful arrow. It's the symbol on the necklace and the earrings and the bracelets. And then there's a live inspired necklace. And I hope that for you, it's a reminder to live inspired every single day, that you look in the mirror and you look at what that represents. And and I hope it represents something for you like it does for me, because really I made this line for you. And so if you're interested in seeing it, if you wanna purchase a piece, we have it ready for holiday and it's launching this week. So you can follow my Instagram. Also, if you're on my newsletter list, you should be getting a newsletter about it, but also there's a link in the show notes where you can learn more. Okay, so I was really nervous to interview my dad, <laughs> um, not only because you know I haven't done that before, but also it's really hard to talk to my dad without getting emotional. I mean, even growing up. So my dad's a veteran and I would always hear my dad tell stories about Vietnam around the dinner table and it always choked me up. He never went very deep into it, but you know, he would tell a memory or a story here and there. And this is the first time I'm really asking him some questions about Vietnam. You know, he fought for his life. He also sacrificed his life. And then he also sacrificed his life when he gave me a kidney. And this week also represents the 21st anniversary of our kidney transplant. And the reason I wanted to do this episode with my dad is because this kidney is what inspires me to live my best life. There is nothing more important in my life than this kidney because it keeps me on my toes. It's what keeps me healthy. It's what keeps me grateful. And this week also being Thanksgiving, I am so thankful for this kidney and for my dad and for the gift that he gave me. So I hope that you're listening to this episode as you're driving in your car, as you're with your family, as you're headed to Thanksgiving or you're getting ready to see your family. And I hope that this episode helps you feel really thankful for the things that you have in your life as well. 
Also, I recorded this interview just after Veterans Day, and I wanted to start the conversation asking my dad about his experience in Vietnam as a Marine. He was a part of the 9th Marines, which was known for sustaining the longest amount of combat over the longest amount of time in Vietnam. Uh, they were the first regiment to arrive in Vietnam, and the first battalion was nicknamed the Walking Dead. My dad was a part of the second battalion. At 18 years old, my dad fought for his life, and then he saved mine. This is our story. At the age of 19, I lost both of my legs below the knees, which changed my life forever. It made me dig deep and build my resilience. And through that, I've been able to accomplish some amazing things. I'm a three-time Paralympic medalist, New York Times bestselling author, Dancing with the Stars runner-up, and a world-renowned motivational speaker. I created this podcast to cheer you on and to remind you that every challenge must be met with one question. How can you not just survive life's challenges, but thrive through them? I'm Amy Purdy, and this is Bouncing Forward. I want to go back. You fought in the Vietnam War, and you chose to go. You weren't drafted to go. What inspired you to go? Well, you know, I, I was graduating from high school at the time. I really wasn't sure what I was going to do with my life. Of course, the Vietnam War was going on. I've always been somewhat patriotic. I was in the Boy Scouts. I love the national anthem. I always have. I, I still do. And so I just felt, for me, it was the right thing to do. I saw all these guys being drafted. And I felt that rather than getting drafted, I wanted to go into a branch of the service that I felt would help me stay alive during this conflict. And so that's I joined the Marine Corps. I think that's interesting what you just said. Instead of being drafted, you made the choice to go, which is a much more empowering stance than being drafted to go, being forced to go, and not wanting to go. The funny part about it, they came out with the lottery system in the draft maybe six months after I, I had already joined the Marine Corps. My number came out 267. I would have never been drafted. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, Well, but you wouldn't have known yeah, that. <laughs> wouldn't have known that at the time. You had to make the best decision you could at that time. And, you know, I, I was always, you know, I always thought the Marine Corps was a great branch of the service. And so what was your job? Well, <laughs> they called us grunts. I was a uh, ground pounder, so to speak. I spent the entire time I was in Vietnam, I spent in the jungle pretty much. Other than the times I, I was on the hospital ship for malaria. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was in a search and destroy unit and we spent most of our time on the uh, demilitarized zone in the Laotian border, sometimes inside of Laos. We weren't supposed to be inside of Laos, but we were. Weren't you a part of a platoon that was in a very risky situation? Well. You lost a lot of service members, right, within your platoon? Well, we, we had situations that happened quite often, actually. 
again, you know, we spent most of our time in the bush. You know, you hear some of these people that spent time over there in the military that might go out for a day operation and then and then jump back on the choppers and run back to a, a home base. Well, we didn't. We were in the jungle. We slept on the jungle floor. We had to have supplies flown into us occasionally. Sometimes they could get them to us. Sometimes they couldn't. So we were subjected to combat quite a bit. Yeah. You also were subjected to Agent Orange. Yeah. I mean, that I, I think I've heard you talk about that. Just That was just dumped on you. Yeah. You know, it was Agent Orange was a herbicide that they used to kill off the vegetation in the jungle so to make it easier to locate where the enemy was hiding. So, yeah, we were all subjected to that all the time. And it's, you know, there's residuals from that that kind of comes up during your life that uh, they attribute to Agent Orange. Dad, were you 18 or 19 when you went? I was 18 when I went in, right after I graduated from high school. And gosh, I think about... It makes me want to cry. (laughs) It makes me want to cry, Dad. I think about Jonas, you know, and he's 18. 18. And I think about that's the age that you were when you were fighting for your life. Well, we were just kids. We'd been trained and uh, trained extensively. So were you prepared for that? When you got there, was it harder than you expected or did you feel prepared? It was harder than I expected. I knew it was going to be tough. We had been told, you know, what to what to expect, but you really don't until you face it, until you have to deal with it, until you have to deal with the first time that uh, people are killed. You think you can handle it, but when it happens, that's, uh, you know, the rubber hits the road. Yeah, I don't think anything can really prepare you for what you were dealing with over there. Well, there's so much anxiety at times, and there's so much emotion. Of course, you know, when you're in the middle of a firefight, you don't really have time for that. Oh, you're scared, but you don't have time to be scared. (laughs) Anybody that says that they're not scared when they're in a combat situation is just not telling the truth. Because you are scared. But it's that, that, that scared that's going to help keep you alive. It's, it's going to, you know, the adrenaline that comes out of that. And, you know, and, and believe me, I mean, you start thinking, your, your thinking becomes so sharp and you're so aware of what's around you. Everything just really kicks in. But uh, yeah, scared, sure. Absolutely. You know, we always think that fear is maybe a bad thing, but sometimes fear is a good thing because that's what saves your life. Absolutely. And it does. I mean, fear and the adrenaline, it just brings everything, just makes everything so much sharper. Right. Makes you react quicker. I will say this, though. Say when the firefight was over, you're almost in a daze at that point because did, did my mind and body just go through that? I'd imagine such an adrenaline rush. I mean, our bodies and our minds are made to survive. And rarely are we put in a situation where we're really fighting for our lives. Even being a Paralympic athlete, 
or say even Dancing with the Stars, that, you know, uh, that was an enormous amount of adrenaline. I would have huge adrenaline crashes afterwards. Mm -hmm. But I can't imagine if you're actually in a fight or flight situation where you're fighting for your life. Like, you really are running from danger or running right into danger. So I'd imagine the adrenaline crash afterwards was enormous. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it, yeah, it definitely was. I always tell everybody it was one hell of a camping trip. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Uh, um, and so you ended up leaving Vietnam when you got malaria. Yeah, that was the second time. I forgot that you got malaria twice. So yeah. you got malaria the first time and you were covered enough to go back to combat? Yeah, I did. I was uh, I was actually on the hospital ship, USS Sanctuary. Very sick. High temperatures, fever spikes, things like that. Chills, you had a, a temperature of 104 at the same time. So I spent just about a week and a half or something like that on the hospital ship. And my unit had gotten hit pretty hard while I was gone. So they called me back out to the bush. And then of course I was out there until the next time. <laughs> but I actually ended up with two different strains of malaria. The uh, falciparous malaria, it'll kill you. It's not reoccurring, but it will take your life. And I ended up in the army hospital in Kui, Okinawa and in somewhat of a coma actually. And then uh, I came out of it and they shipped me back to the States. Going through everything that you went through, going to war, and also being that close to death, how did it change you when you came back? I think I came back more spiritual, but not tied to religion, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, it, it was difficult when I got back because the way we were treated, number one, which was, you know, I understand why, but at the same time, it shouldn't have happened. Right. Yeah. And that's something that I wanted to mention as well is here you go over there, you're, you're making the best choice you can. Right. And you're over there, you're fighting for your life, you're fighting for your country, you're fighting for what you believe is right. And then over, you come back to the U.S. and you are not welcomed with open arms. No. <laughs> I'll give you a story. When we landed in Travis Air Force Base, I was on a hospital plane. There was a, an older woman kind of like your grandma. And she came on the plane and she was handing us all little keychains that said, your country loves you. And obviously she was a volunteer with some organization. Yet on the other side of the fence, we could see all the signs that called us, you know, baby killers. And, you know, so that, that kind of gave you an idea. When I finally got out of the hospital and I was flying home, I had my uniform on. People avoided me like I had the plague. You know, of course, when I got home, I had grown up so much more than guys that I'd gone to high school with. I mean, they were still playing fraternity games in college. Right? And I had, I had already been to a situation that was way beyond anything they ever experienced. You've also dealt with PTSD, mm -hmm. like many service members. I mean, with adaptive action sports, we work with a lot of service members, and I'd say every single one of them deal with PTSD. Do you think that some of your PTSD is at all attached to how you were treated when you got back? 
I would think that would be an incredibly emotional journey when you fought for what you thought was your country and then now your country's not even right. accepting you back. There's zero support at that time. You know, I'm not sure that it attributes to the PTSD. I think I was just emotionally kind of distraught at first. No, I mean, I didn't expect everybody to have parades and, and welcome us back with opening arms, but I, but I didn't expect to be treated the way we were treated. One of my audience members um, asked a question and they asked, it's kind of interesting. I never thought of this before. We both fought for our lives. We're in situations where we fought for our lives around the same age. Mm -hmm. And there, it's kind of interesting. There's a parallel there. You know, I was fighting for my life at 19. You were fighting for your life at 18, 19. Have you ever thought about that, that we were pretty much the same age when we were really, you know, our lives changed forever? I'm sure. You know, getting into that situation where you, you got sick, you know, I had a lot of thoughts and emotions that took place. When we first got the phone call, I didn't know how bad it was. Of course, then by the time I got the second phone call, I knew how bad it was. Yeah, absolutely. We were both about the same age. And I'm going to give you kind of a, another parallel. You know, my dad, your grandfather, he lost his kidney when he was 51 years old. And his was due to disease, and I was 51 when I gave mine to you. Yeah, so. <laughs> I know. So, Dad, when I was in the hospital, the doctors and nurses called you. You were in Utah at the time. And they said, I had about two hours left to live. And you guys rushed to Vegas to be by my side, which at that point you thought I just had the flu not realizing how bad it really was. So watching me go through everything, which, you know, of course, at that point, you know, I was in a coma for a little bit. I was facing losing both my legs, but really facing losing my life and multiple organ failure. So what gave you strength when watching me go through what I was going through? To be honest, I think it went all the way back to my military service. You know, we had to deal with people losing their life all the time. I think that's where I gained that strength where I could keep a level head and deal with the situation at the moment, not worrying about what it could be or anything else. Just deal with it the way it is right now. But, you know, just so you know, believe me, when I was by myself, I had my moments worrying about you. I know. I was just thinking how survival mode is amazing, really. Because I was in survival mode, which completely put me in the moment, at least when I woke up from being in a coma and I was aware of what was going on. There's nothing like survival mode to completely put you in the moment. So just like you said, when you were fighting in Vietnam, you can't think about the fears of tomorrow. You're just thinking of the here and now. And we just got to get through this moment right now. Right. And so I can see that coming into play when I was fighting for my life and just having to kind of stand by and watch. Well, we never had any intention of letting you go anyplace. So, and that was always on my mind. I had, I actually got very much involved. You know, I like everything to be nice and orderly. Probably relate that back to my military service there too. But I would come in in the mornings when you were in, in ICU 
and you know straighten out all the cords and the lines and the tubes <laughs> and make sure everything was in line because they would have them all running all these different directions so yeah no i remember that <laughs> i remember that because i had more than 10 IVs and so that's a lot of tubes plus i was on life support so that's a lot of tubes and on dialysis and all the machines and so, yeah, I'd remember all those wires would get crossed and then you'd come in every morning. I'd feel you organizing yeah. each one of those lines. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you've sacrificed so much. You sacrificed really your life in Vietnam. And then really you sacrificed your life again when you gave me a kidney. I can't even talk about it without crying. I, I To me... You know, giving you a kidney was not a sacrifice at all. There was uh, no question in my mind that uh, that was what I was going to do. I mean, did my own mortality come into into my mind at one point? Yeah, it did. And it, it, but it was just a fleeting thought. Honestly, I had the uh, thought process of I've survived a lot in my life. I've done pretty good for myself. I've lived a good life. And uh, she deserves to live a good life. And so there was no, no question in my mind. No sacrifice. I think that also being as good of a match as we were, you know, it's really rare to have the antigens that they were looking for match up so perfectly. Mm -hmm. We had the same antigens, which typically you only get three from your mom and three from your dad. I got five from you. And then we also had the same blood type as well. So everything lined up almost like a twin. It did, yeah, it lined up perfect. That made me less fearful in having the transplant because I felt like it was meant to be. I thought this is such a perfect match and I'm so grateful. And so for me, I think that's what gave me strength going into the transplant because you don't know going into it if it's going to take. I right. think that's the biggest challenge with transplants. That entire year, you're kind of just crossing your fingers, hoping that your body accepts this kidney. And my body accepted your kidney. Right away. Right away. And I think a lot of it too was because I mentally accepted it. And so, and I, I thought to myself, if I mentally embrace it, then maybe my body will accept it. And I really believe that that's why my body's accepted it so well. When we had the transplant, the average length of a kidney transplant's life was only nine years. We're getting ready to celebrate 21 years this week. Yeah. Well, it came from a live donor. Right. Which makes a big difference. And you've taken very good care of that kidney. Yeah. You know, I, I told you it was trained. <laughs> yes. And so, um, and just for the listeners out there as well. So my dad and I, we have a tradition that we do every anniversary of the transplant. And the tradition is to, no matter where I'm at in the world, like whether we're together or even if I'm like on the other side of the world traveling, we always get on FaceTime and we take a shot of Crown Royal to celebrate another right. year with the <laughs> transplant. Um, because just a quick story, when I was getting wheeled in, well, actually, my dad was getting wheeled into surgery before me. 
And then they wheeled me in a few hours later and they had us side by side um, so that they could take the kidney out of you and put it into me. But before they wheeled you in, I remember you kissed me on my forehead and said, okay, if you ever drink again, you're only allowed to drink the best, which is Crown Royal. <laughs> and I was right. like, okay, that's the, <laughs> that's the one rule, which I can't say that I've necessarily stuck to. But <laughs> well, I didn't necessarily expect you to. <laughs> you know, a lot of the reason why I wanted to interview you for this podcast, you know, it's all about living an inspired life. That's what this season is about. Having that kidney, that's what inspires me every single day of my life because it keeps me on my toes, you know, even more than my prosthetic legs do. I think having a transplant, knowing that it can fail at any time, you know, that's what the doctors kind of prepare you for. They always say it's not a fix, it's a Band-Aid. And so for me, knowing that this kidney could fail at any time, although I don't believe that it will, <laughs> but having it in the back of my mind that it could, mm -hmm. that's why I want to do everything in my power to live my best life and to not limit myself because I'm perfectly aware that it can change at any moment. And so I just want to say thank you, Dad. Well, honey, I would do it again without a problem. When you got sick and, and you almost lost your life and you lost your legs and your kidney function and, and everything else that went along with that disease. Your mother and I decided we were going to do everything possible to make sure that you lived a full life. And what that was going to be, we didn't know. I mean, honestly, at that point in time, we had no idea what, it, what the future was going to bring. It actually kind of got off to a, to a, a good start when you actually were able to leave the hospital and they put you into a, a rehab facility, right? <laughs> and I went and checked you out for the weekend and never took you back. I know. <laughs> so you broke me out of the hospital pretty much. Broke you out. Because, you know, I remember being yeah. in the hospital, you would come in and, you know, you were there every single day, you and mom. And you would say, as soon as you're better or good enough, you're going to go to rehab, you're going to swim, you're going to work out, you're going to get strong again, because that's, you know, I loved working out. I wasn't an athlete at the time, but I loved working out. That was just a huge part of, of what I did. And then I went to rehab and it was that inpatient rehab. And I was with people four to five times my age. <laughs> and mm -hmm. <laughs> I remember they had us just like lifting canned soup as the weights. And they would say, I, I remember we were laying down on a mat, me and, and somebody who was probably 75 years old, we were laying down on a mat and they said, okay, I'm going to have you guys do 10 leg lifts and I'll come back. And I was like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Just like breezed through it while the person next to me was going really slow. And I was like, I'm done. And, you know, they'd come back like a half hour later, like, okay, are you ready to do the next leg? And I was like, one, two, three, four, four. Like, I was like, okay, I think I can do more at home than I can do here. <laughs> I was waiting for the hospital police to come after me. Right. <laughs> so... When I was young, going through everything that I was going through at that time when I was 19, would you ever have imagined that I would go on to be 
an Olympian or Paralympian? No, I didn't. <laughs> no, I mean, I knew, I knew that you were a very uh, spiritual. I knew you were, you, were, you know, and, and again, not religion-wise, but heart-wise, mind-wise. Uh, I knew that you were very creative. But at the time, I really didn't think, you know, prior to all of this, you know, what you would be doing with your life or anything else. I knew you loved to snowboard. You know, I mean, you spent most of your time, you know, it was either, you know, a half a day at school when you were supposed to be there a full day, but the other half was up on the mountain snowboarding. Right. <laughs> with your friends. But I think I always felt that maybe, well, you know, she'll probably get into like local ski races and things like that or local snowboarding competitions. Right. But no, I didn't, I didn't think you would go on to uh, do what you did, which obviously has been quite a bit. Couldn't be prouder. You know, I couldn't have imagined either, actually. I mean, I, I definitely, snowboarding wasn't a part of the Paralympics when I first lost my leg, so I didn't even see it as an option. Snowboarding wasn't even a part of the Olympics when I was in high school snowboarding and I had my legs. So really, you know, my eyes were never set on the Olympic Games. I just loved the sport and wanted to see what I could do with it. And I think losing my legs forced me to get creative. That kind of gave me the drive. Like, I was curious what I was capable of if I had the right feet. And so then I'd start working on feet. And then, you know, then we started adaptive action sports. And for me, it was just this almost just a natural progression to get to the Olympic Games. It wasn't really something that I always had my focus on. You know, I, I think that being sick like you were and everything that went along with that, it really brought out an inner strength that I didn't know you had that much strength, but you did. Right. You know, your mother didn't, you know, neither one of us knew. Probably about halfway through, and I started noticing, I mean, how hard you were fighting to stay alive. Because there were a couple of times where it didn't seem like it was going to turn out that way. But, you know, you fighting through that just brought out that inner strength, and then you just continued on with it. I always say you don't know how strong you are until you're forced to use it, until you're forced to find it. Right. And then if you can apply that in other parts of your life, then you can find the perseverance to get through. And for me, going through what I went through, to know that I could persevere through the worst, you know, through the worst and survive that, yeah. then whatever it is I'm facing, I know I can make it through that as well. Well, it doesn't matter how good or bad an experience is, you know, those experiences make up who you are and how you will deal with things in the future. You learn from your experiences. Right. You can't really regret what you've been through or even decisions that you've made. You can just learn and grow. Yeah, that's it. And so, Dad, is there anything that's inspiring you right now, just at this time in your life? Well, you inspire me every day. That's the truth. I guess what gets you excited right now, you know, because as we go through different times of our lives, different things excite us, right? Like when you're young, you're like excited to get out of the house and then you're excited for new jobs and careers and then that kind of changes. And so what excites you every day? Well, I'm way past the new jobs and careers right now, <laughs> <laughs> but I do like to stay very busy. Dad, I think yard work inspires you. Well, that, I like that. Yeah. Riding my Harley. That makes my whole day. 
you know, there's nothing better than than to be on that motorcycle and, and riding up a a mountain road following a river. Right. You know, I absolutely love it. That's my good times when I can just clear my head and I can think. And it gives me a sense of freedom. Yeah. I love road trips. And I think I get that from you and mom, just going for drives. You know, we would always just go for a drive. So now Daniel and I do that so much as well. It's like, let's, it's Sunday. Let's just go for a drive. Right. Yeah. You know, there's other things too, you know, that I get emotional about. To actually see people at a sporting event during the national anthem stand up and, and put their hand on their heart. You know, those are important things to me because, again, <laughs> I'm a patriot. Yeah. A patriot in the sense of that I believe in the country. Right. If somebody at home was going through major challenge, you know, if somebody who's listening was going through major challenge, maybe they're fighting for their life for some reason, or they're fighting for their child's life, or they've got a family member who's fighting for their life. What kind of advice could you give them to give them comfort and inspiration to persevere? Don't lose hope, number one. Don't let what you think is going to happen overwhelm what's really taking place. Have faith. If you're religious, pray. And actually, if you're not religious, <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's a way of speaking to yourself. Never give up hope. I like that. You know, you said something that you said earlier, too, which is don't let the fear and anxiety of what you think could happen tomorrow uh, affect you today. Right. Like, just pay attention to the here and now. Just put one step in front of the other. You can't dwell on the past, but you have to learn from the past. You can't predict the future. You don't know what's going to take place there. Take care of today. You need to plan for the future, obviously. But don't think that everything you plan is going to take place because it's not. Yeah, exactly. It's very easy for when we're faced with challenge to think of the bad things that could happen. You know, you're scared of what could happen tomorrow versus just being in the moment today because what you're scared of may never even happen. Yeah, that's true. So, Dad, I want to ask you a couple of quick fire questions. And these are questions that I ask all of my guests. So... Okay. I want you to finish this sentence. When I feel inspired, I feel... Energized. What's the last little thing that inspired you? It inspires me to see my grandson doing so well in college. It inspires me to see, you know, my granddaughter, you know, being 13, 14, 15 years old, 16. She's now she's starting to turn into a young woman. It inspires me to see the family doing well. That's what inspires me. And the last question is, what song do you turn on when you want to feel inspired? Or what song inspires you most? Of course, I like all kinds of music, country, jazz, pop. This is kind of an oldie, but it brings tears to my eyes all the time if it's done right. And it's somewhere over the rainbow. Yes. I love that song. I love that song too. You know, I always say that's Roxy's favorite song. <laughs> and just <laughs> for the listeners, Roxy was 
my dog that I got when I uh-huh. lost my legs. And she was with me through the, the most challenging time of my life. And when she passed away, I think that song came on the radio. And then Daniel also played that song in this little video that he made of her. And so now I always say that's Roxy's favorite song. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I forgot yeah. about that. But that's ours too. Yeah. I'm going to be doing a playlist of, uh, you know, all the guests and their songs that inspire the most at the end of this podcast. So um, that song will be a part of it. Great. Matter of fact, I'm going to go listen to Jewel sing it right now. <laughs> Jewel actually shared the podcast not that long ago. Oh, did she? Yeah. That's right. Oh, that's right. Yeah, she, she shared did. it on Instagram. Cool. I just want to say thank you so much for doing this with me. And I, I've been looking forward to this for so long. And I just think it's really, it, for me, it's amazing to be able to just capture your stories and a part of your life and a part of our lives together. And this has been really meaningful for me. I've enjoyed it, sweetie. I love you, dad. Love you too, Amy. You guys, I love that conversation with my dad and I knew I would cry. At least I warned you, but it almost feels impossible to have a conversation with my dad without getting emotional. I mean, even growing up, sitting across the dinner table, listening to his stories from Vietnam, it's hard to not get choked up and to picture him as 18, 19 years old fighting for his life. And then he and I have been through so much together, and I'm so incredibly grateful for this gift of life that he's given me. So I knew today would be a little bit emotional for me. And he said a few things that have really stuck with me. The first thing is I've never heard him say what inspired him to join the military until today. And I love the answer that he gave. The draft was happening, and before he could get drafted, he signed up on his own. Instead of being out of control of the situation, he took control of the situation. And I'm sure that was a really hard decision for him. But the lesson that I took away is that sometimes just making a decision for yourself versus having a decision being made for you is all it takes to take you from a place of disempowerment to a place of empowerment. And I also really respect And I'm inspired by just how much of a patriot my dad is. And I can confirm that every time the national anthem plays, my dad gets really choked up because it has deep meaning for him. And I've always really appreciated that. And I also heard him say a few times to not be overly concerned and anxious about tomorrow, to be present in the moment today. That's how you survive whether it's fighting in a war or fighting an illness or watching your loved one fight for their life, to not think about the what ifs of the future, but to do what you need to do today. When you think about the future that hasn't even happened yet, it's easy to get anxious and to get overwhelmed. So the best thing you can do is be present today and make the best decisions that you can make today. If you were inspired by today's episode, I would love to hear from you. You can text me or you can leave me a voicemail at 970-747-3400.
If this episode inspired you, please make sure to share with someone else or on your social media. And also make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Thank you for listening to Bouncing Forward. Thank you.